Cross Defense is underwritten for you by the Luther Academy. You can check them out at lutheracademy.com. Get in touch with them and let them know how much you appreciate their work, including bringing you Cross Defense here on KFUO. Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions, and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's word, his truth, his law, and his gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is coming again to do. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and together we are on a journey, letting Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, a signature modern statement of the biblical truths confessed by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, devote us to the belief that when God speaks, he does so in order that we would speak his word back to him. Just as St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for the truth when he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. For the time is coming, he warns, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to suit what their itching ears want to hear. You, however, Christian, you must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, and so encourage others. I have, as guest today, two brothers-in-arms, brothers in real life for themselves as well, Pastor Andrew Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, and Pastor Paul Preuss of Zion Lutheran Church in Ellendale, North Dakota. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So where we left off last time was we tangented out of what Dr. Pieper was saying about the difference between two religions that are in the world, the one which is the religion of man and his works, the one that is a religion of the gospel and God's grace, which doesn't deny the law, but is the law is not really the, the, the linchpin of the religion. We, we kind of dovetailed into Luther's commentary on Romans chapter 7 and the struggle of the new man with the law and how that really is different from the old man's constant flight from the law. And Dr. Pieper had kind of sent us that direction with one of the quotes he had, and he's got more Luther for us to start off with today. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that quote and then give you guys a chance to just respond to it, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So um, Luther writes, thinking we're still dealing with the idea of religion. You know, what what is religion really in the world? What does the world think religion is? What does God say religion is? What does the word religion even mean? Luther writes, the prophet warns, again, he's meaning Isaiah, I believe. The prophet Isaiah warns against the other religions, which can do nothing but wear down both body and soul, and all to no avail. And the stricter they are, the more do they fill men with fear and grief and drive them to despair. We have experienced it under the Pope, where the souls found no peace through the countless satisfactions, prayers, fasts, masses, pilgrimages, but we're tortured more. The word alone gives true consolation. Therefore, the true and only religion and the true and only worship is this, that one believes the forgiveness of sins, which God gives graciously and freely without subsequent or previous good works from pure mercy, just as he freely gives the light of the sun and all other good things. Believing in this good God who bestows his blessings graciously and freely is the true religion and the true righteousness. 
And what jumps out to me is two things. Uh, the weight of works on the conscience, even amongst those who don't believe, like the, 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 the rankest atheist is going to be kind of never really able to, to ease his conscience. And then the other side of this being what unbelief says when it hears about grace, it says, well, that means there's going to be no good works at all. If you actually say that, that uh, real religion is a free gift without any previous or subsequent good works, that undermines the law. You guys got responses to any of that? You know, even the atheist is going to have things weighing on his conscience, and there's really, there's really no such thing as someone who isn't uh, religious or spiritual, for that matter. I mean, really, they're they're the same thing. It, it really is the need to soothe your conscience, to justify your existence, your behavior, whatever you want to call it, even your orientation, your value system, or whatever it is. And and really, these are all characteristics of religion. It's a, a natural religion that, uh, that it has something in common with the true religion, um, that the, the true religion has is concerned about the conscience. And uh, natural religions, um, or false religions, as we should call them, they may not admit it, but they really have the same concern as well. They want some type of meaning um, and to, to justify who they are and, uh, and what they do. It's interesting that even if someone professes kind of macro-evolutionary atheism, they're still really, really concerned with people believing the right stuff, right? Like, they, yeah. don't, just, they don't just kind of let it all go. And it's like they're, they're constantly trying to fend off anything that might accuse them and keep their system going. Everyone has a conscience, and one needs to um, either have the grace of God, the true religion, or he needs to um, uh, justify it. So if he, he, he needs to find peace somehow. And how does one find peace? Well, what does the atheist do? He tries to um, deny the existence of God, yet his conscience still accuses him. So then he's going to make excuses for his behavior. So then what do you make of, of this kind of statement run through what, what, what both of you guys just said? So someone comes up and they say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And by religion, then they're somehow trying to like stave off your ability to influence them at all. But have they escaped the need to placate their conscience. I mean, don't they then still have some kind of religious need to, to, well, it comes back to this all the time, to justify themselves? Any thoughts on that? When they mean religion, they mean, when they say religious, they mean like they're thinking of organized religion. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, I recall you responded to this rap video <laughs> thing of yeah. this guy <laughs> who was trying to pit Jesus against religion. And it really ended up being just a... Uh, uh, ironically, ended up being a promotion of the new orthodoxy of progressivism. Right. And uh, so, you know, so it's just, uh, it, it really is just replacing one religion with another when they say, well, I'm not religious. And so they, they and I think that what you're saying is, is connected to this then, that, that, okay, so we don't want organized religion because we don't want other people telling us what to believe. Um, and, 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 uh, and this is just how people think. It's really, it really is remarkable, because when people say, well, I have a problem with what your church says about this or that, say, well, this isn't just what our church says. This isn't like we just got together and made a decision to just be inconvenient to you. We teach what the scriptures say. Our religion is, right. is founded on scripture. It's not just, you know, Lutheran or Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or whatever you want to or Trinity Lutheran Church. It's, it is what the scriptures say. And I think that when someone says, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, it's just a, they're, they're playing a game of semantics to basically say, I have my own beliefs and I don't want to be challenged. When you say semantics, what do you mean by that? Well, just a word game. 
they're they're using two words that really mean the same thing, but they have a little bit of a difference in in emphasis. And so they're trying to make a distinction when there really isn't one. You can't really make a distinction, or or, or you can't choose one and not the other. You can't really have one without the other. Right. It's like saying I love ham, but I never eat pork. Right. Yeah. Like, you, you can't yeah. really can't really do it. Yeah. Or like uh, or um, I love my mother. I love, you know, I love my brothers, but I hate my mother. We hear this a lot. You know, I don't believe in organized uh, religion, but then they, you know, they say they're spiritual. What is funny or not funny, tragic is these folks don't realize that when they start talking to me, it's the same religion as everyone else has come up with. Yeah. It's again, I know we're going to get to this, but it it is this religion um, of the law. It's this religion of um, works righteousness every single time. So they're not original. There's nothing new under the sun. Andrew mentioned a moment ago uh, the the response to the rap video, which is both one of the, the lowest points in my life and, and the highest points in my life. Because I, I don't people don't know this. I, I responded by rapping back, but I, I pretty much did it you know, off the top of my head. So there were a lot of really bad rhymes and very uneven statements, but at the same time trying to, you know, kind of answer the question of this gentleman. His name's Jefferson Bethke, and I believe he's still running around the evangelical world a little bit. I don't want to knock him personally or anything like that, but what struck me so much about that first video he did, which was titled, or opens up with the line, what if I told you Jesus hates religion? And it goes on to just kind of bash effectively hypocritical works righteousness at first. His big beef is that the churches that he sees are all full of people who think they're they're righteous and judging everybody else, as he sits there and judges them, right? He then turns and by the end of it, uh, basically creates just a whole other form of morality in which he gets to be on the good side, but everybody else is on the bad side, which is what the religion of the law always does. It draws a line in the sand but I'm always on the good – if I'm if I'm drawing the line, I always end up on the good side somehow, right? I always end up justified by my own little morality I've created. It's uh, interesting. I haven't seen um, uh, the, the rap video, but it seems like he is maybe correctly attacking some of these religions, uh, these um, even denominations. And then he himself – does the exact same thing that uh, they do. And that is that is the nature of the beast. That's exactly what happens if you are not believing in the religion of uh, grace, if you are not a, going to the word of God as the, as the source of the true religion, you're naturally going to um, become works righteous. You're naturally going to place yourself uh, above others and above God. Going with uh, Paul's point there, then, what's also ironic, it reminds me of the sheep and the goats. Why are the goats condemned? Because they did not love the least of Jesus's brethren. That is, they didn't love their fellow Christians. And really, and and we we can find this. This it happens very subtly that they think that they're Christians. They think that they're wonderful servants of God. But what they're doing is they're bashing Christ's sheep, and Jesus is not going to take that lightly. And yeah. and it, and it's something that we should be very careful about. Even when we when we know that we have the true gospel, and like you pointed out uh, about how he he started off kind of criticizing the legalism, but when we look at the gospel as something that is like our brand or sort of some somehow this is going to be the attractive thing to the world, like oh yeah, you guys don't like them because they make you obey a bunch of rules. You should follow us because we're more gospel-y or we you know we 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 preach the gospel. Well, okay, there's some truth to that, that yes, certainly the gospel should be the predominant thing that you preach. 
but don't let the go- don't turn the gospel into a marketing scheme and, 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 and fool yourself into thinking that somehow people are going to love you more and you're going to attract more people because you're not legalistic. The fact is is that the predominant religion of the world is legalism. This video of this guy proved it because he reverted, ironically, to the same type of legalism. Well, he didn't have an answer to go to other than the one that he was trying to condemn. So he was trying to get out from under the law, and yet he had no, to my knowledge, I mean, I'm sure he heard it at the at the decision-making seminar that he went to where he, where he gave his life to Jesus, but in, in that's what's so dangerous about evangelicalism is you get it then, and then they take it away, and you never have it anymore, and you've got to be on the treadmill. And so he had nowhere to go with it. And and what you're warning then, I think, uh, about about branding the gospel is is right there with what we talk about when we, when we use that phrase, opinio legis, uh, the opinion of the law. The, the real threat is that we would turn even the gospel into yet another kind of work. And your language, I think you said a moment ago, was that you should be with us because we have the gospel, right? Yeah, and, and, exactly. and now we've turned the, the, the very language into a should, as mm-hmm. opposed to that they're just what the gospel actually is, that Jesus well, yeah. died and rose. Go well, ahead, go even ahead. If you're a Christian and you take comfort in the gospel, you know the great comfort that the gospel gives. And so you can easily be fooled into thinking that the world is going to see the same comfort that you see, but they, they simply don't. And the temptation then there is to try to then revert to selling it to them instead of letting God's Word simply do its work. And, uh, and what's ironic is that when you try to sell them the Gospel and show them how how wonderful it is, it's like sitting there and trying to... Like when I was little, this kid... Uh, this kid in my class, uh, was who was a, kind of a scoffer, asked me, like, well, why should I want to go to heaven? And then I tried to explain to him, like, well, heaven's awesome, it's going to be so great, and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized afterwards, I'm not going to be able to convince him to be a Christian by describing to him how awesome heaven is going to be like. <laughs> you know, so you can't, right. you can't describe how awesome the gospel is to a heathen. He needs to be brought low by the law and then comforted by the gospel, and that's something that only the Holy Spirit is going to accomplish. We can fall into this trap, this whole uh, opinion of, of the law. We all, according to our simple nature, a bunch of legalists, and we, we constantly need um, God's Word to lead us to repentance and, and faith in Christ. I, I think of this story of a good friend I had when I was younger, as he went to church with me every day, he he would talk theology with me. We would argue with our non-Christian friends about the true religion being uh, by grace alone through faith uh, in Christ. And he got uh, distracted by the cares of, of this life, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, I go and visit him and I, I chastise him about going to church. And what does he what does he instantly do? is he instantly starts comparing himself to others and justifying himself to others. And I've seen this too with visiting the um, what we call the delinquent. And it's very, very tragic. You know, I don't need to go to church to, to be a Christian, but what happens when you do not hear the word of God? What happens when you aren't hearing the true religion is that you start creating your own religion almost instantly. Uh, it's uh, all of a sudden you start justifying yourself. Well, I'm not going to church, but I'm better than that guy. Uh, it's a it's a very tragic story, and we should all be uh, ourselves be aware of this. Uh, this is what we will do uh, by uh, by nature, and we have to constantly live a life of repentance and cling to God's word, to the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. I think it's it's with good reason that the prayer of the church ultimately is, "Lord, have mercy." 
It, yeah. it, you know, it, it's a recognition that, and I think this is Luther's uh, chancel prayer as well, as he's preparing to go out and preach and, and serve the supper, he effectively prays, uh, dear, dear Jesus, please do this, because I'll ruin it if you let me try. Uh, and uh, and that's really what it is for the Christian life. And wh- why we say, Lord, have mercy, is because yeah. we do walk in danger all the way. And th- But the danger first is self-justification. And this is what I'm always kind of hung up on this, I feel like. The moralism you see in the American churches is thinking that the danger is, say, not having enough purpose, or or the danger yeah. is uh, maybe not being enough. And I, you know, careful with this, but but not enough sanctified. And by that, I'm not even sure what people mean sometimes when they say that. Does that just mean I haven't given enough money to church or what? But when the real danger is that I would actually start believing that I can justify whatever I'm doing. Whether it's my purpose, whether it's my sanctification, or whether it's my sin, in each case, I'm, I'm taking my eyes off of Christ and trusting in myself. And then that becomes the threat to everything. And it's, but this, I, I mentioned that word sanctified, so we should probably go there with this one too, because the, the other part of that quote from Luther, though, is well, I mean, can we just really ultimately trust that God is graciously and freely, without subsequent or previous good works from pure mercy, going to give us salvation? as he gives the light of the sun to everybody else, is, is is that all it is that actually saves us? And, I mean, I got to say, yes, that's all it is that actually saves us. It doesn't mean that's the only truth there is, but it's all there is that actually saves us. What ends up becoming their, their main concern is there's there's some type of purpose for your life. We were just talking about this at our Winkle. Our Winkle is where, for the listeners, it's where uh, it, it comes from the German for, like, kind of meeting in a corner where the the, uh, the the pastors in a circuit meet together and study theology and discuss doctrine and practice and stuff like that, or at least they should. Um, but uh, fortunately, we do that at our Winkle, and uh, we uh, we were talking. We had a good good conversation about uh, Luther's um, uh, uh, freedom of a Christian, and and one of the pastors uh, mentioned that his his son had uh, injured himself. Um, and uh, had to go to the emergency room, and uh, he and I can't remember if it was a nurse or someone who was of some type of, you know, American Christian persuasion said to him. You know, he knew that he was a pastor's son, and said to him, "Well, God has a God has a great plan for your life, or something like that. You know, He has a good purpose for your life." And I'm thinking, and then, you know, his response was. Well, kind of our response together was like, well, yeah, your, your salvation, what you already have, have right now. And, and, and I think natural man, going back to that opinion of the law um, uh, that we all have, always wants to move on to something bigger and better. And now, obviously, God has a purpose, but that is something you already possess by faith. And, and so it, 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 it's really just, uh, it's really too bad. I mean, we see how this, the same thing happens with the... Um, um, very subtly among Lutherans, even where, where the, uh, uh, the what's it, what's our purpose? Well, to go and make disciples. Well, maybe your purpose is to sit and you know bear the pains of arthritis and do your duty of shoveling and your your driveway when you can and admonishing your 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 neighbors, your children and grandchildren when you can and just waiting on God. You know, and it's and you're not going to do anything super duper great, and it's not going to get that much attention. 
but your purpose is simply to be a Christian. I've often thought yeah. that that one of the great errors of missionalism, if I can call it that, which I would I would say I would define missionalism as like an idolatry of mission, idolatry mm-hmm. of mission work in the church. So it's not that you know it takes a good thing to make it into an idol. Everything that we have as idols, they were good things once. We just started ascribing to them more than they was their due. Um, but the the great error of missionalism, missionalism is the belief that. Uh, mission starts with us doing something exactly. as opposed to mm-hmm. mission starts with us repenting. That is, you know, confessing that we can't do it. Uh, and then, and then moves only from there, maybe into prayer first. I mean, you mentioned the person yeah. with arthritis and, and the knuckles that are, that are racked with pain. I think of uh, one of, you know, one of my shut-ins who would have been sitting there day in, day out. And you know, what is, does she have no purpose? Does she have no, okay. no hope? Is she not serving the church? And yet the, the greatest power of the church ultimately uh, is, is prayer. One of the things there in that story you told, is just so interesting, is this person who shared with your, your, your brother, uh, pastor, brother, um, uh, that God has a plan for your life. Shared that as if that was the gospel, as if exactly. as if that was the good news. Is that this life here is going to work out some somehow? And there's a two edged sword there. First, Paul says himself uh, that you know if we have hope only for this life, we're to be pitied above all people. But then I just think about okay, so what if he, you're in the emergency room? What happens if the kid actually dies? Now where do I go? You just told me God had a plan for my life. Is, this was the plan. You know, forget that. You know, I don't want that God, right? Unless I have some reason to to, to see through suffering to the other side. Jumping back a little bit, uh, this whole idea of um, always wanting to do something, I, I think this is filtered into, unfortunately, a, a lot of congregations um, with the idea of what uh, what worship is itself. Is always everyone wants to do something to um, have some sort of authority, and and you know, the more you do. In your congregation, the more uh, God sees you as um, as just, rather than simply receiving the the word of God, receiving the forgiveness of sins, uh, being served by God uh, with the forgiveness that Christ has earned for us. Um, there's this you just see it everywhere you go, and I, I think that if we would um, if we would uh, consider this this truth of the two religions is that this opinion of the law is that we by nature want to do something for our justification is let's not bring this into the church but let's um, confess the true religion when we go to church and let's re let's receive from Christ's called minister the the grace of God the forgiveness of sins i remember uh, someone in the parish once advocating for something called family ushering, which is neither here nor there. I don't want to go off on a tangent about that, but it was effectively that you would have not just the elder males usher, but you would have um, uh, you know, families join in. What got me, though, was the reasoning behind it. The reason was, Pastor, we need to have the families ushering because then uh, the women and the children will feel like they're participating in the church yeah. more. And that's where it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What makes us think that helping, you know, standing at the end of an aisle and letting somebody you know in or out of that aisle is what participation in church means when especially that word participation is right there in first corinthians 10 and do you not know yeah. that this cup is a participation in the blood of christ i mean what what could we possibly do in our measly little selves down there in the nave that compares with what we receive at the altar with what we're given from the pulpit with what is absolved in the words of the pastor at the start of the service there's no greater participation than that we can talk more about that on On the other side of this break, you're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. My guests, Pastor Paul Preuss, Pastor Andrew Preuss, will be back in just a minute.
Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org slash kit to download the Refugee Sunday Kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org slash kit. What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would, of course, prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I know legal stuff can seem expensive and complicated. That's why the Missouri Bar provides you resources like missouri.freelegalanswers.org, a live stream of our high school Constitution Day program, and free legal forms that make your end-of-life decisions known to your family in case of a medical emergency. Visit us at missourilawyershelp.org for these resources and more, because Missouri lawyers are here to help you. Brought to you by the Missouri Bar. Warming up a cold car sounds like a smart idea, but it can also be a hot opportunity for a car thief. Leaving a vehicle running with a key or fob inside makes it easy to steal. So don't leave your car running unattended. At the least, use a remote starter and keep the car locked up while it warms up. And never run the car in a closed garage. That creates the possibility of carbon monoxide poisoning. If you know something about car theft, call us at 1-800-TELL-NICB. A public service message from the National Insurance Crime Bureau. Think fast. In the short time it takes to listen to this message, a small flame can turn into a big fire. Several minutes more, and thick, poisonous smoke may have filled your lungs and reduced your ability to respond. Give it five, and your entire home may be filled with flames. Keep breathing. We've got you. Don't let your world go up in smoke. Have working smoke alarms and keep heaters three feet away from anything that can burn. Learn more at usfa.fema.gov, because fire is everyone's fight. I'm KFUO's Kip Allen. I'm a committed Lutheran, but I'm just a layman with no special theological training. Like many of us, I have questions and I seek guidance. I need answers given to me in a language I can understand. That's what this program's all about. Let's talk. The pastor is in. Friday afternoon at 2 on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. Truth is, opioids only mask the pain, and they come with serious side effects, from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com. 
This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. In the early 1800s, the horrific conditions and brutality of the English prison system was taken for granted, conditions ignored. Elizabeth Fry was determined to do something about it. She was a Quaker, passionate about reading the Bible for herself and making the Bible accessible to those in need. The daughter of a prominent banking family and the wife of a successful tea dealer, she used her influence to visit female prisoners in London's Newgate Prison, discovering appalling conditions for women and their children. She set up classes to give women job skills, rallied others to provide clothing, and at the center of her plan, leading the women in studying the Bible. Until her death at age 65, Elizabeth Fry worked tirelessly for prison reform, fundamentally changing how women prisoners were viewed and treated. Engage with the Bible in its impact on injustice over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Right here, we're the messenger of good news, and we're trying to help you see it, distinguishing between law and gospel, between the opinion of legalism that's written on your heart and the good news of the sufficiency of Jesus' cross on your behalf. Talking with Pastor Paul Preuss and Pastor Andrew Preuss, working our way through the Christian dogmatics of Francis Pieper, dealing with religion, what is religion, and the understanding that there's really two religions, works, and grace, and leaving off with a conversation uh, about our participation in church and the idea, the misguided idea that pops up an awful lot, that somehow if we get all the people in the pew to kind of have one more thing to do during the service, maybe it's ushering, uh, maybe it's singing a song up front in front of everybody, um, I don't know, I know I've run into other ones, more people acolyting, uh, then somehow that'll be the like magic bullet that gets everybody to be Christian more, whereas what the real participation of church is is the reception of the word and sacraments that Christ has given us. You see it in almost all of the um, evangelical uh, worship services. The focus is on what we um, are doing for God. And people, unfortunately, put their trust in what they're doing for God rather than simply just listening uh, to God's word and what he is giving uh, to us. Uh, and we respond with, um, with what? An amen. We say amen to the fact that we are that we are sinners and that uh, we are undeserving um, of salvation. And we say amen to the glorious uh, good news uh, that our sins are forgiven um, uh, on for the sake of Christ uh, who suffered and died uh, for these sins. You know, it, it isn't just uh, adiaphoron. It, it, the, the spirit is what we're talking about here. It's the, it's the, the spirit of the opinion of the law. And when we allow that to get into the church, that is, uh, uh, especially the Lutheran, uh, our Lutheran churches, that I think that is just so very tragic. When you say um, adiaphoron, you mean a thing that is technically neither commanded nor forbidden, but but what we're really getting is something that's indifferent. It doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt us or help us. And that right. that our the opinion of the law in worship is never going to be indifferent. It's gonna it's gonna affect it, things. Exactly. It's it, yeah. What we do in worship is never going to be uh, indifferent. So you know this this idea that we can just do. Uh, whatever we want in worship, it's uh, it's indifferent. It's neither commanded nor uh, forbidden. Um, well, we we are we are commanded uh, to uh, meet around uh, uh, the apostles' doctrine, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread, uh, a prayer. Um, we are uh, to receive what what God 
uh, gives to us. Uh, but we have uh, we want to by nature to uh, make it our doing. I mean, if you if you look at what the papacy uh, did to did to the church, what was it? It was the you know the the, the priest. He becomes the one doing everything instead of what Christ is. Uh, he instead of just giving the gifts that Christ has has earned for us. Um, it's a it's a it's a tragic story. All all roads um, lead lead to Rome. There was a book that came out. It was it was privately published, and this is maybe six or seven years ago. And I can't remember the title of it or the name of the of the gentleman who wrote it. I believe it was a Missouri Synod pastor. He may have been a Missouri Synod layman, but it was effectively titled "The Traditions of Jesus," and and it made the case that while certainly we are free to adorn the worship which God has instituted to some extent. So, for example. You can sing hymns about Jesus and who he is and what he's done to a piano, or you can sing them to an organ. And and in theory, those things may be on a on a first article level can be can be debated, but they ultimately aren't commanded by Jesus. But that there are things that are absolutely commanded by Jesus that are his, and that we should see them as his traditions, uh, his institutions. Uh, and and with that, then you got absolution, you got the Lord's Supper, you got yeah. baptism, you got the the reading of the scriptures and the proclamation of those scriptures, and they're not optional. And then what we do around them, the the real judgment on whether or not what we do around them is indifferent or not, is does it get in the way? Right? Does it distract us, or does it actually push us back toward those things? And I got one more thing to say about participation too. A little bit of a, we, we were being good about saying how you don't need to do anything, but if you if you're worried about not doing enough in church, why don't you try this one for me? Why don't you try listening to the sermon carefully? <laughs> right? Not tuning out, but actually pay attention. Why don't you try taking notes? Why don't you write down what's been said? Why don't you take it home and talk about it around the dinner table with your kids? Right? Then yeah. you, maybe your kids will want to participate more when they see that your mind is being engaged and renewed by this by this holy word of god ask your pastor questions i mean i as a pastor i love it when people ask me questions it's so much better than when people you know say that they don't like something or other about that doesn't matter you know right right <laughs> or or can we do this instead of this or whatever you know it's just i mean and those are and not to not to discourage those from asking i mean those might be legitimate things to say to your pastor depending on what they are but the the I think the most joy that you will have and that your pastor will have as well um, is when you ask him theological questions and talk about God's Word. Um, and that is, uh, that's, that, you know, go to, go to every Bible study that you can, you know, I mean, don't, but don't burden yourself if you're, um, uh, uh, I mean, because that, you know, that's, you, the most important thing is that you come to divine service and, like you said, talk about, talk about God's Word with your family um, and with your friends. Yeah, not, nothing quite disheartens me or disheartened me as a pastor as putting a lot of effort into Sunday morning. And it's not just theological prep. I mean, it's emotional effort, it's paperwork and administration. You know, everything's kind of geared towards Sunday morning. And then the only word I would hear aside from good morning, pastor, in that day was a quip about something or other. Like maybe we, you know, we sang five verses of a hymn yeah. and we lift out your favorite verse or sometimes it was like something like um the piano had been moved three inches to the left and i didn't even know it had yeah. happened and someone else had done it right and that the only thing that said to me in the whole morning is what's wrong with us because of that whereas if someone would just walk out and not just say good sermon to me but say this thing you said hit me like and quote it or pastor yeah. what did you mean by this 
Um, you know, you would have me, you'd have me stopping and talking in the line for 15 minutes trying to talk about it because it would yeah. inspire me to keep wanting to do more. Whereas those yeah. those other things that don't matter for the pastor, they tend to just undermine and eventually wear you out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that that's the best way to participate and to be involved in church is to talk theology because that's what the church is. So. And when you say that, let me let's talk about that. Uh, when you say talk theology, what do you mean? Well, talk about God's word. I mean, theology is talk of God or God's talk, or um, you know, it's it's the words. Really, I think the best, probably the best way to see uh, the word theology is the words that God, um, that God puts in your mouth and in your heart, and grow and then and continues to uh, to. Uh, have you grow in your understanding of it. Uh, we can call it like a, a way, you know, theology is like a way of life. It's a way of talking. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, it's a, uh, it's a worldview, um, but it's like a habit where you are just, you're talking about God's Word. So talking theology is kind of short for talking about God's Word and, and, uh, and seeking a better understanding of it with those uh, other Christians who are also reading it and learning it. One of the ways I like to think about, you mentioned the word worldview, which has its problems, by the way. Um, but it, one of the ways, the good ways I think to think about it is, is a way of describing the operating system for your brain. Now, your computer, it doesn't work by itself. It's got to have an operating system. So whether you got a Mac hardware, the actual machine, or, or a Windows machine, you can actually put other software is on that. You can't put Mac software on a Windows because they won't let you, but you could if they would let you. And you. But you need that operating system that makes everything function and allows it to make decisions or be manipulated or whatever. And so you, you got a brain. It's, it's this kind of machine made out of gray matter that's sitting up there with blood and electricity coursing through it. But it, it needs an operating system. And you, there are multiple operating systems out there in the world. There is the echo of the world and, and the devil and our flesh. And then there's the echo of what God's actually said. And once that becomes your, it's not like it's something you have to think about all the time. It's something you start thinking from, right? It starts being the, 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 the thing that influences and impacts what you then think. And theology then is just the constant awareness that a true knowledge of God becomes impactful, both in the sense that it goes in, but it's not just going in, it's also coming out, which is where that, yeah. that talk about the new obedience and sanctification, in some ways, if you're really a believer, isn't something you have to have to demand that we believe happens, because it's going to happen. Now, we want to talk about the law still, and we want to call each other to account, but the operating system's going to operate. Uh, the question is, and this is why talking theology is so important, is are we getting those words in, including the law, that's going to inspire us to believe it's true? The opinion of the law isn't just like the law's personal opinion, but our opinion about the law, kind of our natural, our natural opinion about the law that somehow we are able to uphold the law. And, and uh, you know, and this is, uh, this is why we, we... This is why often... We want to. We don't necessarily want to. Uh, when people say they don't like to talk theology, it's not necessarily that they don't like to talk about teaching or doctrine. It's just that the gospel to our natural man is it doesn't satisfy, you know. And so, what we really do by nature, and we include our, our all. Of, uh, I include myself in this by nature. I'm a sinner. Um, that, that, that by nature, I want to talk more about things that promote the virtues of man, you know, that, that promote the accomplishments of me and of other people that, that, you know, and so, but here the gospel comes along and says, 
know the you know the uh, oh glory be to God, <laughs> you know that Christ has done it all, um, and uh, and this is what you know what the Peeper really emphasizes the vicarious satisfaction that this is really just the the central point of the Christian religion that this 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 affirms first of all that the law must be kept, and second of all that we can't keep it only Christ kept it for us, and so all of this. You know, this this goes back to, um, you know, if you don't like to talk theology, it's not because you aren't interested in anything. It's it's because you're, you, you, um, your natural man, your natural old sinful man needs to be curbed. And then yeah. we all should include ourselves in, in that, that, we, that. That's a danger that we can all fall into. You know, I'd often rather talk about the Green Bay Packers than talk about God's Word. And... Uh, that's something that we should just be aware of. I'm reminded of Romans uh, 3, you know, no one understands, no one seeks. And that that's who we are by nature. Uh, that And, you know, that's why I'm reminded also we, we pastors learn this in, in seminar, seminary, you know, how to be a good theologian. Um, there's the uh, oratio, the meditatio, and then tentatio. Um, the oratio is, is prayer. I mean, we make this admission that, that um that we cannot interpret scripture, the the natural man will not receive the things of God, and and we pray uh, that God would uh, through His Son give us His Holy Spirit so that we we can understand uh, uh, the Bible, um, and that we meditate on this and uh, on the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God to create in us a, a new heart to give us. Uh, an understanding of the of the true religion, because if we don't do that, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, if we do not have His Word, uh, we're we're going to um, uh, try to justify ourselves uh, um, by the law. Um, it, it, the gospel is is foreign to our our sinful nature. I'm kind of torn as a host here between uh, the the fact that over the last I don't know five six shows, it seems like we're talking about the same thing. I mean, we're on the same topic. And we're spending a lot of time saying the same thing over and over again. So part of me is like, oh, well, this isn't new content. You know, we need to we need to get some new content or people are going to get bored. And then part of me is like, there's no other thing to talk about ever. <laughs> this this is the only thing we can actually talk about as Christians because we can never really learn it well enough. What I do want to do here is shift the language just a little bit by going to another way that Peeper refers to this, and we're on pages 13 and following. I can't tell you which page this quote's on because it's just in my notes, but he uses some of the language from Jesus to talk about this opinion of the law uh, that, that maybe if you're reading along in your Bible, you wouldn't just be like, aha, the opinion of the law. Like it wouldn't just jump off the page at you. But he says, Christ himself tells us that the souls of the non-Christians are the dwelling place and workshop of the, quote, strong man armed who, quote, keeps his palace so that, quote, his goods are in peace. And that's that's out of Luke 11. I believe the parable of the strong man shows up in the other synoptics as well. So, but you, you want to take a stab at that? What's he getting at that non-Christians are kept in the palace of the strong man as his goods? This is in the context of uh, Jesus uh, casting out a demon. And then he's warning about how a, a demon will, uh, you know, will go from one host to another. Um, and then he talks then about the strong man who comes in and then the stronger man comes and casts them out. But the strong man comes in, and there's uh, he has made uh, uh, his um, you know he's he everything is at peace. And I think what's what's significant about that is that um, it if you are a non-Christian, you can have 
peace of mind. I mean, it's not, I don't want people to get the impression that all non-Christians are just totally, like, frantic. I mean, they do have peace of mind, at least outwardly, and they are able to cope with their standing as whatever it is that they believe. But that's the, that's the point that Jesus is making here, is that, that the strong man seemingly has that peace. But when the stronger man comes, then he comes and breaks it apart and divides the spoil. And so Jesus is like that, uh, you know, in the Christian religion, really, you know, Paul was just talking about this oratio meditatio tentatio, that, uh, that you can't be, you can't really have the Christian religion without having this anguish over the reality of your sinfulness um, and, and of the wickedness of the world. But the religion that the world gives will actually give you good peace. You know, the religion that the devil gives will give you not good peace, but give you seemingly good and satisfactory peace. Um, and uh, and so that and that's the warning. It's easy to get comfortable. Your treasures. I suppose these could be your um, you know your good works, uh, those that give you peace. But like uh, Andrew was saying, this is this is a false uh, peace, and uh, uh, the devil. Uh, is is strong, um, but uh, uh, your your works will will be exposed. Um, they aren't as as good as you suppose they are. Luther, I think at one point, I think as I'm getting this from him, talk he, he kind of snidely refers to carnal comfort. Yeah, I think this is in his introduction to the Large Catechism. He talks about the carnal nature of being comfortable and how dangerous it is that we would become at ease. Uh, and it's kind of like, oh, crud, I'm sitting here in the United States. <laughs> you know, it's uh, how do I take this? You know, in my much of my life, my day is given over to trying to make life easier. And I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's all about, well, you can't have a washing machine or you're not a Christian, right? I don't think that's what Luther's getting at. But there is a certain temptation to forget where we really are. That we're in the veil of tears, the valley of the shadow of death, uh, the, the, the haunt of jackals and demons. Uh, we're not going to turn this into a paradise. We're not going to make this a place where we are eternally comforted. And one of the beautiful gifts of Christianity, this tentatio, temp, it, it, temp, it's translated as temptation, but I, I think it may be better translated as just a suffering or struggle, some trial, um, tribulation even. Um, one of the wonderful gifts of Christianity is that God's going to do that to you. Like, you don't get a choice in the matter about whether or not you're going to have tribulative struggle with your flesh unless you stop being a Christian. Well, yeah, then then you have a choice. But but as long as you're a Christian, God's going to keep making you suffer. And I remember kind of on a personal experience level, my wife and I were both good good pietists when we came to the seminary here in St. Louis. And by that I mean we, we were Christians. We believed in the Trinity. I kind of had an idea of the real presence, but I really didn't understand law and gospel at all. And I, and I certainly didn't really even think being Lutheran was that important. It just happened to be the church body that I'd been born into. And we found, and we, I remember talking about this, that as I was learning about the theology of the cross at the seminary, as I was learning about uh, baptismal regeneration and what that means, and as I was learning about the distinction between law and gospel, and I was sharing all this with my wife, and we're believing this, and we're actually putting our hope in it, and it's like really exciting how hopeful this is, how great and freeing the gospel is, we started noting, noting that like we were getting less good at the things that we did. <laughs> like, <laughs> like and, and the suffering was increasing. My wife used to be able to like sleep four hours a night and then get up and just keep going. And now the less, the less, 
that she tries to justify herself, the less she has that spurring her on to making her life perfect every day, the less able she is to kind of, well, be perfect every day. And there's this wrestling thing. It's like, well, what happened? How did Christianity do this to me, right? I was supposed to get better. And, and we don't. But it's, I, I, I'm going to insist this is the gift of Christianity, that we're actually confronted with what everybody else is hiding from. They're working so hard to cover it, and so they don't see it, and they have this false peace you spoke of. But instead, uh, what we get is to have it laid bare and naked. It's not pretty, but it is forgiven. And then that's really the key. What I think that this comes back to, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, is that what is really in your conscience? You know, I mean, you, you basically, your wife, when she was doing such a great job of like, getting so much stuff done, you know, you were seeing results of her being basically a slave. Yep. <laughs> yeah, know? that's right. And who was, sure. and who was, you know, who was really in her conscience? Well, the law was really in her conscience. And when the, the, the gospel, now the law informs your conscience, but the gospel, the, the peace of God is what, what rules your heart and mind. Um, and, and so th- this is, this is the, it is God who rules our conscience with his grace. And this goes again back to this whole spiritual but not religious kind of thing. You know, because this idea of spiritual, I guess, is, I guess, I guess what they mean is that they somehow feel that they have the autonomy to kind of tap into some, st- some type of spiritual vibes. But religious kind of carries with it this idea that there's an established order and that you are, that you are ruled by something. And, and so, so, but this is the beauty of the Christian religion, that our minds are ruled by the gospel. Our minds are ruled by the peace which Christ earned by his very very death on the cross. And, and that is what is distinct about the Christian religion. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And as my wife would, would say to me, you know, I don't know uh, what's happening. I'm not as good as I used to be. I'm not able to do what I used to be able to do. My answer was never, we'll try harder. <laughs> you know, the answer was always, thank God you see that you're not going to be able to handle everything yourself. Life's just going to keep getting like this more and more. We're going to age. We're going to get slower. Uh, we're going to get dumber, uh, in part. At least I have, for sure. I don't know about. I shouldn't say it, my wife has. I have gotten dumber. Thank God that I know my limitation. What does it teach us to count the days? Let us know the the limits of our righteousness, so that why? So that we would look to the one who has been righteous in our place. A comment I I hear quite often is God will never give you more than you can handle, uh, and so people will say, "Oh, I can." Um, I can get myself through this life by myself. God just gives me the power and then I, I do it myself. But no, it is, um, we can't handle our, our sins. Um, and we can hide them, uh, we can justify them, um, but in the end, they, they need to be uh, paid for. They, they need to be forgiven. And uh, only, only um, Christ has done that for us. Um, and the only way to, um, to receive that is is through faith. That's the way of escape that St. Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 10 that Paul was alluding to there, um, that, that that he will not give you more than you can bear. Um, that But why is that? Because he will give you a way of escape, and that is Christ. Yeah, yeah it's kind of cool to think of the absolution as the way of escape, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and kind of, and you guys think, think you can have a chance to re- respond to this still. You know, you mentioned there, Paul, you know, that, that phrase... God will never give you more than you can handle. And you mentioned earlier, Andrew, you know, God's got a plan for your life. And both of those things, again, are spoken by the world as if they're good news. Yeah. But but they're also lies based on you being able to be good enough. So what happens? What happens when 
you do get more than you can handle. What happens when you take your child to the emergency room and God's plan for your life is to kill your child at age six? Who do you go to? Where do you turn? What hope do you have? And this is the distinction of biblical Christianity, because if that child's baptized, you know this wasn't really what it was about anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Well, yeah, what yeah. you go is you go to, and going back to those two, you know, God has a purpose for you, and that God, and that, and that God, that, that God will not give you more than you can bear. That's Romans 8, and that's 1 Corinthians 10. And if you actually look mm-hmm. at what Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 10 say, the, the purpose that God gives is that you be conformed to Christ. It is, right. it, is, it is Christ and his salvation that you be firmly grafted into the vine. That is God's purpose for you, and that is what he's promised to do. And, and then the, the way of escape, as we said, is, is, it's the absolution of faith in Christ. It's the gift of, of God's grace. Sometimes life can really beat you down and get deep on you, make you feel like there is nowhere to go. God and the curse that he sent upon the world for the sinfulness of mankind has given you more than you can possibly handle. It's going to prove itself one day as you face your grave. As the doctors tell you they can't do anything more. As your friends stand around and pine and hope and maybe try to justify you, say, oh, your life was lived well enough. But the way of escape is the body and blood of your Lord Jesus. The way of escape is to give a ring to your pastor, have him come on in, confess your sins, and be absolved. Hear that liturgy bring to your lips the very body and blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have the way of escape come to you, that narrow path that few find, but those who do, those who hear these words, believe them, keep them, put your hope in them. Well, you will not be put to shame when you speak with your enemy on the day of judgment. No, no, no. You will be high and lifted up by the one true religion, the religion of grace. The religion not of what you do, but of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. Listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. We certainly hope you heard that good news in this last hour with my two guests, brothers, Andrew and Paul Preuss. Andrew serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. And Paul is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Ellendale, North Dakota. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We'll see you next week right here at Cross Defense. Rock on.